For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from, from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building his building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who has built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Okay, let's go to the Lord and pray again. Father God, we thank you for, again, this day. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, um, God, what it um, what it shows us, what it teaches us. God, we thank you for how it reveals who you are, that it is a depiction of your um, glory and your character. God, that it tells us how um, your son has come into the world and how we can have salvation through him. Father, it teaches us how to live, and it teaches us um, the life that uh, you would have for us. Um, God, not only as as we serve and worship among ourselves, but God, also how we how we interact um, with a, a world outside of your uh, kingdom and family, God. And so, uh, God, we thank you for that word. We thank you um, for uh, for the fact that we can come and and look into it together as a community and see what it has for us. We ask that as we worship together, that your light, the light of the Holy Spirit would shine on this text, um, that we would um, see it rightly and understand it rightly, and that we would apply it to our lives and be changed by it. God, we pray um, that you would continue to bless our fellowship in these things, God, that you would make us more and more like Jesus Christ um, in, as, we, as we study your word together um, and as we grow as a community. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, this is our uh, the last section of this this uh, passage of scripture that that we have talked about over the last few weeks. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And so, um, so here's one angle that we could kind of address this passage in. This is one way that we could kind of look at it. Um, Jesus is depicting in this Sermon on the Plain uh, genuine spirituality, okay? Genuine, true faith, true obedience to God. And he's showing that it is different than what typical religious concepts of those things might be, all right? So so think about it, of the, of the things that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks in these passages, okay? So... Um, Think about the idea of saying, somebody saying, well, how do you know if, if, uh, you're blessed by God, right? How do you know if you're living rightly in community with Him? Okay. And if you just sort of ask that generically to the world, ask that generically to somebody who has a belief in, in some sort of higher power, well, maybe what they might say, and in fact, probably many people of many faiths would say is they'd say, well, if, if the person is happy and, and healthy and at peace and comfortable, they seem to be blessed financially. Um, if they're successful, if they're respected, well, then that probably rec- uh, uh, represents the fact that they are uh, right with God, right? That God is blessing them and that everything is good. 
That's a mindset we see in Christianity sometimes, particularly when we talk about things like the prosperity gospel and stuff. But Jesus shows up and he basically says, no, not necessarily, right? All of these things, you could be sad and you are still blessed. You could be uh, going without and still blessed, right? When people speak ill of you on the, on, uh, for Jesus Christ, uh, on, on, for the sake of Jesus Christ, you might be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, right? And so it would, he sort of pushes back and says, the things that you would think would indicate someone being close to God may not be that, that way, okay? Then we went on after that. We said, maybe what's another typical sign of a person that is at peace with God? Well, they're, they're loving to their friends and family, right? They have good relationships with, with their friends and family. They're, they're decent people. They do right by their neighbors. While those things are good, right, Jesus, again, sort of pushes back and says, there's nothing particularly uh, spiritually faithful about that, okay? Um, because everybody does that to an extent, right? Everybody loves their families. Everybody loves their friends. And for those circumstances we can think of where people don't love their family and friends, then those sort of stand out as, as things where we say, man, that's, that's obviously not how we're supposed to be living, right? That shows how far we have fallen. But Jesus basically says, no, it's, it's, it's not, um, those things aren't indicative of a life that is dedicated to God, right? And I would argue that we kind of see that same problem arise in, in political, um, debate over the last, say, 30 or 40 years where we've talked about family values, right? The, the political world has sort of purported, uh, and, 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 and supported these, these family values kind of platforms, right? And it's not that there's anything wrong with family values. We're pro-family values, right? There's not anything wrong with loving your neighbor and loving your family. We're supposed to do those things. But the problem is it's not the same thing as saying you have uh, faith in God. It's not the same thing as saying that you have a life that has been changed by Jesus Christ, okay? Um, you can see the danger in it, right? If being a good person... Living rightly, loving your family, loving your friends, if that's all that we need, and if that is the core of the Christian message, then it's easy to see why some people would look at it and go, well, then why do I need Jesus? I, I already do that on my own, right? I love my family. I love my friends because everybody loves their family and their friends. Why do I need Jesus for that? And so Jesus comes and he kind of radically shifts that expectation, that ethic of, of loving your enemies. Jesus says, man, real love looks like mercy, to those who are your enemies, generosity to the people um, who are the strangers, kindness and care towards people that either don't deserve it or who will never repay it. And so then a third thing we might say is, what does it look like again for someone to be a religious person, to be right with God? And probably in our heads, we all have an idea about what that stereotypical religious person, and I, and I do that in, in quotes for a reason, right? That religious person looks like that person who's a, a pious, decent, uncompromising, maybe a little judgmental, right? Maybe a little self-righteous, the kind of character that Flannery O'Connor writes so well about, all right? Just, we, we have a picture in our head of what a religious person looks like. And then Jesus comes along and he says, yeah, that, that haughtiness that we often think of with religiosity, that's not a good thing. 
Moreover, it comes along with hatefulness sometimes to those who are outside the faith or those who are sinning in some way that we uh, we particularly dislike. And then sometimes it even comes with a certain level of hypocriticalness, we said, right? Uh, being unreflective about our own sin and the own problems and our own shortcomings. Okay, so we sort of see that stereotype of a religious kind of person. And so then maybe what Jesus is saying is saying, you all think you know what a, a good person looks like, but I'm telling you that it is something more than the typical answer that everybody would give. And so then maybe the question that we come to with this last section is, okay, well, Jesus, and how do we know? Like, what is a, what are the signs of a truly authentic faith? What are the signs of a life-changing relationship with Jesus? How can we gauge that in ourselves, certainly, but even in others? All of these things are dealing broadly with that idea of authentic faith. And so he closes this section by asking, I think, is there a mark? Are there marks by which we could authenticate our faith? And I think he gives us the answer that there are. In fact, there's two. Okay? There's two things that we can look to to say, yes, Jesus is actually working in this person's life. And the first thing is fruit, and then the second thing is floods. Okay, fruit and floods. Two parables, two metaphors pointing towards two tests of an authentic faith. Okay, so let's take the first one, this illustration of a fruit tree, starting in, in verse 43. Trees are known by their fruit, right? We know that, okay? Trees are known by their fruit. If a tree doesn't have good fruit, then it's not doing what it was designed to do. Verse 44 tells us that much, right? For each tree is known by its fruit. We can make right assumptions about a tree by looking at the fruit that is coming from it. Or to say it another way, the test of a tree is in its fruit. That's the main way that we judge a tree, whether it's healthy, whether it's good, whether it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, okay? And I think we can probably make even some, the tech from the text here, we can even make some other assertions um, about the nature of that, right? The problem with a tree, as we look at it, could arise from two different places, Okay, so if we're saying, yeah, the fruit is how you know whether the tree's good or not. Well, if the tree's not good, then what might be the problem? Why is that tree not good? Well, he kind of maybe gives us an, an illustration here again. Verse 43, he first says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Okay, trees produce fruit in keeping with the health of the tree. You got good roots, you got good nutrients coming into the tree, all other factors being equal, that tree is going to produce good fruit, right? So we have some down here at the farm that we're, we're fixing up. We have some pear trees and we have some apple trees uh, there along the backyard. And guess what? The fruit that comes from them is awful, all right? The pears are like concrete, like they are rock hard, okay? And the apples are these little shriveled up things with with spots and worm meat and there's there's barely any meat to them right but there's a reason for that the reason is is because we don't do anything to take care of them right they're old trees that we don't spray them we don't water them we don't fertilize them we don't do anything to help them okay and so it's not surprising that the fruit that comes from those trees is bad that's a health issue right it's a health of the tree issue 
But there could also be another reason why we're not getting any apples from those trees. And that would be if they weren't apple trees, right? Okay, so if we were expecting to get apples from a tree that wasn't an apple tree, um, that would make sense, right? Well, I think that's kind of, again, the picture that we're getting in verse 44, the second half of verse 44. Trees produce fruit in keeping with their nature, with their kind, you could say. So what does it say? Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. So not only is health a problem, but there's a second problem. It may just be the wrong kind of tree. Apples come from apple trees. Grapes come from grapevines, right? Uh, my, my kids and I love Alice in Wonderland. We're, we're big Alice in Wonderland fans. And you remember the scene in Alice in Wonderland where they're painting the roses red, white, right? Um, these, the cards are, the, the, the queen is mad and she doesn't have red roses and she wants her roses red. And so they're out there painting all these red roses, white roses red. Why are the white roses red? Well, it's not because they did something they're not unhealthy. It's because they planted the wrong bush, right? They didn't plant red roses. They planted white roses. That rose bush is never going to be red. It can't make red roses because it's the nature of the bush is wrong, okay? It's only going to produce white roses, okay? So, so that's an illustration for us in terms of our hearts, in terms of our character, right? There's two problems that we have with producing fruit, either our nature or our health. Okay. On the one side, we have the problem of, of asking, and, and he gives us, he shows us that he's talking about people, right? Verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, right? So if we have a heart that has not been changed by Jesus Christ, has not been regenerated, then there's no way it's going to produce Christ like fruit. But also, there is the possibility that our heart could be changed, and yet it is unhealthy, right? It hasn't been fed properly. It's been spiritually malnourished, you could say. And so we're, we're not feeding it with the nutrients that it needs to bear spiritual fruit in our lives. Scripture and prayer and fellowship and worship and service and evangelism and generosity and sacrifice and perseverance in the faith, right? We are not doing those things, and so our lives are not producing the fruit that would demonstrate the authenticity of our faith. Instead, we're feeding ourselves junk food and the candy that the world has to offer. And then again, when we do that, we still wonder, we're like, well, why is my life not producing more fruit? Well, again, maybe it's because of one of two things. Maybe it's because Christ is not in your life. Or maybe it's because he is, but you're spiritually unhealthy because you're not feeding your life with the things that God would have for you to do. Now, just in case you're like, Ash, I think you're taking, you're allegorizing this text too far, right? You're, 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 you're making it say more than he's intending there. Look at verse 47, because I think it's exactly what Jesus points to, what he's requiring of us, right? So he gives this little illustration and he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. Okay. So you see three things right there, right? First off, Everyone who comes to me, okay, that deals with that first problem. We must come to Jesus first. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot produce right fruit on your own. Jesus makes us new. He makes us alive. He, he takes thorn bushes and he turns them into grapevines. 
Okay, and until that happens, there's not going to be any way to produce the fruit that you're supposed to be fruiting. Fruiting. Is that a word? Fruiting? You're supposed to be producing. All the water, all the fertilizer in the world, not going to make the fruit that you're expected to make if you're a thorn bush, right? You're never going to make figs that way. Only Jesus can change your life. So Jesus says, this is what I'm going to tell you, this person who has come to me first, that's the beginning thing, but then what else? He says, the person who then hears my words, right? The person who is taught by me, who's exposed to my teaching, who takes in my commands. And again, that doesn't come to us naturally, right? That's something that I think oftentimes new believers misunderstand. They they think that, oh, I'm going to accept Jesus and then I'm going to come into the Christian life and it's going to be like flipping a switch and everything is going to be like Jesus filled, right? Like he's going to download holiness into my life and I'm going to be a completely different person instantly. And the answer is that's not how it works. It never works that way, right? There is a process by which we have to bring the word of God into our lives and be taught the word of God. You can't do it without Jesus, but also Jesus isn't going to do it in you without his word coming into your life. Okay, And so Jesus says, you have to come to me, you have to hear my words, but then there's an expectation. Then you have to do them, right? You have to do the things that I've told you to do. That presence and that word have to bear fruit in your life. And so that's the first test. The first test is is we can be fruit inspectors, right? We can look at the fruit of our lives and answer the question, is, is Jesus really here and am I really being... Uh, filled and, and, and nourished, um, by his word. But there's another test. It helps out that all these words start with F. I love that. I mean, that's, I work really hard to find words that all start with the same letter. And then sometimes the text just gives them to you. Because not only does fruit tell you, but floods tell you. They're a test of our lives. The second test is how do you respond in the midst of a flood? Or, or maybe not exactly respond, but, but how do you weather the storm when it comes? How do you weather the flood? Because it reveals whether our foundation is true or not. So the person, it says, who comes to Jesus, who hears him and does them, it says in verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and he could not shake it. And he broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Okay, so the second test that we see is when the trial hits your life, right? When when the bad thing, and it could be anything, right? It could be a problem in your marriage. It could be a problem in your job. It could be a worldwide pandemic. It could be all kinds of things, right? And when that flood hits, what happens to your faith? Is that is that the point at which your faith crumbles and falls away and disappears into the storm? Or is it the time when you... Maintain? Is it the time when you stand against that storm and the strength of the foundation and the authenticity of the building are made clear? So perseverance and stability through the storm marks 
a life that is truly united to Christ. So again, in, in the first parable, the fruit is, is a function of, of your inner health, right, of, of the tree. But here, it's the stability of the house that is highlighted, right? So the house survives, and, and, and notice two distinguishing characteristics of the two houses, right? If a house has a good foundation, and is the house built well? Now, notice those are two very similar concept, uh, concepts to the things we just talked about, right? This idea of having the right uh, root, the right uh, uh, source, right? Being the right nature of plant, and then also having the right nutrients that come into it, right? So, so one is about what's underneath, right? It's about what's at the beginning. It's about the foundation of something. And then the other one is how it is being built up as it goes forward. In both parables, there's something below the external. And then in both parables, there is this something that happens outside um, as, as the plant grows or as the building is, is constructed. The marks of these things are fruit and the perseverance during the flood. And so, so again, we could almost think about those things as in almost justification and sanctification issues, Right? There's two things that need to go take place, right? You need to come to Christ and be made right with him. And he needs to come into your life. And then you need to start being changed by him. And your life being changed um, little by little and bit by bit. There's a simplicity in that, right? Um, there's, an e- there's an easiness to it. And I think we make these things more complicated than they have to be sometimes. because, But they're not. Uh, they're, it's, it's pretty easy. We look to our own lives and we say, do I see growth in my own lives? Or do I see growth in the life of another person? And is that person's life founded on Jesus Christ? And when trials hit, does the person drift away or does the person stay in the faith, right? We, we, we can think about it. We're going to see them when we come to a, a few passages down the way. You remember the, the parable of the, of the four soils, Right, and so Jesus talks about well, there are these people who uh, who are the seeds that fall on the on the on the stone, right? And they are immediately picked up by the birds, and and they're never they never even get a chance to to to, to take root. But then there are these other ones that fall into the shallow soil, and they take they sprout up very quickly, right? But then what does it say? It says, well, then the heat comes out, right? The sun comes out, and the trials of life come, and immediately they wither and die. Okay, and it's the same, it's the same kind of illustration there. Um, when the storm comes, do we wither and die or do we maintain and survive through it? All this stuff's very simple on one side, beautiful, but it's also very sobering to us. And it's partially sobering because of what he says in verse 46. And so Jesus in the midst of these two, to these two parables, these two metaphors, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So who's he talking to? He's talking to us, right? He's talking to his followers. We actually already established that at the beginning of the passage. He's talking to those who have already trusted in him, who are following him, who are believing in him. He's talking to you, right? He's talking to me. Lord, Lord, that word Lord is kurios. In, in Greek, it's the same word that we translate Yahweh into into the Greek. 
okay? And so some people will read this passage and, and, and elevate that language and say, man, Jesus is, is, this is another claim to divinity right here. But the problem with that is, is that sometimes it can be used for father or master or other things. But in any search situation, right, no matter whether it's used for father or master or God, it's always talking about who is supreme in that sphere. Okay, so whether it is the father of a household or the master of a house or 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 the God of all the universe, right? It is talking about the person that is supreme in their sphere. And so Jesus says, you say that I'm supreme in your life, and yet you do not do what I tell you to. You say that I'm the boss, you say that I'm the master, you say that I'm Lord, but you do not listen to me. You don't do what I say. Your fruit, your life does not match up to the claims that you are making. Okay. And so here's the deal because I, 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 there's a, there's, there's a, there's a danger in this, right? Anytime we start using this language of, of authenticating faith, like some people immediately get nervous about that anyway. They go, man, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to look at other people or even at my own heart sometimes and, and ask the question, is this for real? Right. Because I know that my heart is full of all kinds of stuff and, and I feel odd about even asking that question. But I think that's the point of this. It challenges us. Right. It should humble us. This passage. It should chasten us. It should it should make us pause for a minute and challenge us to look at the exact points that we've talked about. Right. Are our lives revealing a salvation that is real in our lives, right? For one, it just reveals the fact that, man, how in need of salvation are we? If Jesus is telling us what it looks like to follow him authentically and then at the same time going, you know, you call me Lord, Lord, but you never do what I say. It shows us how much we need to be rescued. It shows us how much we need to be saved by Jesus. But it also shows us what, man? That, that obedience is expected, that we can't look to the faith and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus saves us. He gives us this get out of jail, uh, get out of hell free card. Um, he's going to, he's going to forgive us. That's his job. So let's just consent, continue sinning, right? So that grace can abound, right? We can't think that way either. Fruit from our lives, obedience is a necessary part of our faith. And one that Jesus tells us is going to bring blessing and perseverance in the trials of life. And so we have to hold those things out in, in, in two hands, right? Like there's this piece where we go, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we also know that we, none of us, live up to that the way we are supposed to, okay? Um, this is what it looks like to have Jesus as our foundation, to be bearing fruit um, through a life filled with the things of God. And at the same time, man, we, none of us are doing that the way we're supposed to. None of us are the people who are bearing fruit to the extent that we are supposed to. And we have to hold those two things together. The reality is, is we fall short of the glory of God on any number of areas, um, as well as the fact that God requires obedience. And so both of those things are true. So again, that's a call to us to humility in all these things. It makes sense that it matches up exactly with what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus was talking about in the last passage about forgiving people, about being merciful to those in your life, instead of being judgmental and harsh and hateful, to be merciful to them. Why? Because God has shown you mercy already. God is showing his mercy now. Our faith 
in all honesty, doesn't look authentic sometimes. I, I feel like probably if you're like me, every once in a while you just look at your own life and heart and then you just sort of go, and what the heck am I doing? Right? Like I, I'm, 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 I'm making a mess of this whole thing. And yet Jesus has been merciful to us. God has been merciful to us. We are called to be merciful to others. And so again, all of this is a call to humility. It's a call to introspection, to be honest about the ways we fall short. And at the same time, to know that God expects us to follow, to obey, and to bear fruit in our lives. Amen? So what I want to do right now is just is, is have a time of prayer, and and I, I want us to think about those very questions, right? I have a feeling like I'm looking out at this, this uh, group of people, and um, I think most of us are followers of Jesus Christ. I think our lives are founded on Jesus Christ. And I also look out at us and I go, man, there's a lot of fruit in here. Like I see the fruit of people's lives and your lives in all kinds of different ways. And yet the word is calling us to more fruit, right? Closer obedience, a deeper trust in the foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives, calling us to more all the time. Not so that we can live up to something so that we'll be worthy. I mean, we're not trying to be worthy of it, right? Because we can't be. There's, it's too good. We'll never do enough to pay for it. And yet, he's always drawing us in closer. He's always drawing us to a fuller knowledge and fuller experience of, of, of the life of faith with his son. Amen? So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to show us those things. If there are places in your life and you're like, man, you know what I need to do? There's some pruning in my life I need to do. There's some spraying I need to do, right? There are some bugs of a certain kind that keep on getting into uh, to my life and causing um, the fruit to rot on the vine. Then maybe it's time to do something about that. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I've been, I've been doing this on my own my whole life. I've been trying to be the person who does all the right things. And yet I didn't check the foundation first. I didn't ever stop to ask if Jesus Christ was the foundation of my life, to receive the salvation that he offers and to enter into a relationship with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and we'll trust that God is going to speak to each of us um, and deal with each of us uh, in the way that he knows is best. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we want to be people whose lives are authentically changed by you. We want to be people who are um, living in, in ways that demonstrate the fact that uh, we know you, God, that our lives are sold out to you, um, that you are working in our lives, that you are putting to death sin and, and fanning into flame uh, righteousness 
God, that there would be not a self-righteousness. It wouldn't be a haughty righteousness, God. Uh, it would be a sacrificial, servant-hearted, merciful, loving, helping righteousness. God, a, a righteousness that is in keeping um, with your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done uh, in our lives. And so, Father, we ask uh, that you would work those things in us, God, that you would draw us into your word, that you would draw us into community uh, to... Uh, to, to help and serve and, and, and work together, God, to, to rub the, the jagged and sharp edges off of each other, um, God, to encourage each other to, even as we've talked about in the last few weeks, God, to challenge each other, to call each other out when there are things um, that need not be there uh, in our lives. Father, we want to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to live lives that, that show his goodness and his glory, show the difference that he has made, uh, that others would see it and know that they can have that same relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. Um, help us to be those people. Father, we fall short in so many ways. Um, we make a mess of, of, of so many things, and yet uh, we know that uh, through your goodness and grace and working in our lives, uh, God, that we can um, follow Jesus Christ rightly. So we thank you. Uh, we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing in the closing Oh,
see you. I'm glad we got to worship together tonight. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.